Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We are looking down on the Prospect Heights neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. Well, I'm looking down. You'll have to listen to my description. It's the night of February 11th, 1938. In many ways, the beginning of this story in your universe. The Great Depression has been decimating the lives of working Americans for a long eight years and signs from overseas abound that far-right fascists may soon start another world war. Inside an apartment, in one of the bedrooms, stands Philip Van Doren Stern, a 37-year-old father, spouse, and writer, a struggling one. He kisses his toddler daughter goodnight and settles into bed next to his spouse. As he sleeps, Philip has a vivid dream. If it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. I mean, look, little fella, why you go off and haunt somebody else? What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Got your wish. You've never been born. Mother, this, this is George. I, I thought sure you'd remember me. Harry, it's George. Don't you know me? What's happened to us? Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? I want to live again. Please, God, 
Let me live again. <laughs> Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight and dance by the light of the It wasn't an epiphany, it was a dream. And it's a dream that he remembered when he was shaving the next morning. You remember Sarah Robinson, one of three daughters who will be born to Philip Van Doren Stern's only daughter, Marguerite. Uh, you will meet her sister, Perrine Robinson Geller, shortly. So one thing about, about our grandfather is that he was always extremely interested in his dreams. One of his last manuscripts was a manuscript called Dreams and Creativity unpublished. Dreams are important sources for creativity, but the ideas they provide have to be implemented. Unconscious and conscious minds must work together. Unconscious trigger, polished with conscious mind. Only in this way will the stuff of dreams become reality. The artful author skillfully leads us past the border that separates the outer world from the world of the imagination. This wildly improbable country is not utterly impossible. It has always existed, locked away somewhere within ourselves. The authors whose work I have edited were interested in fantasy, mystery, and dreams. Henry David Thoreau was a potent dreamer. So was Abraham Lincoln, who had many remarkable dreams besides those that forecast major battles and his own death. I have written books on prehistoric art, art in which early man did his dream images on the walls of caves. If you're one of the millions in your universe who have watched Wonderful Life multiple times over the years, chances are it means something special to you. Over this podcast, I've taken you to hear many talk about what meanings they have personally taken away from watching it. And each of their takes is just as real and true as what the movie's creators may have intended. But those creators did have their own intentions, are you curious to know what those were and who they were? Over this episode, I'm going to take you backwards to the 1930s and 40s to get to know them and experience the moments of epiphany that birthed one of the most popular movies ever made. Beginning with Philip's strangely vivid dream, uh, there are a number of other people who come into the story, each adding something important to what becomes the whole. Before we can get to know each of them, we should first consider who qualifies, who belongs in the small club of significant creators of the movie. That straightforward question became a matter of debate for a number of people involved in the making of it, and uh, continues today amongst their descendants. I have looked at that initial outline. Sarah, again. The story has a man named George, who's a banker, in a small town, standing on a bridge, contemplating jumping in. It has George's wish never to be born, 
and 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 the grant of the wish by this nondescript cheery stranger. And then, he, of course, the tour of the never-born George through the town that he had, you know, in that in, initial life had lived in, in his desperate visits to his non-parents and his non-wife, his return to the bridge and to the stranger to ask for his life back and his re-emergence with new eyes. In the world in which George had never been born, the bank that he worked in had failed and his brother had drowned because he had not been there to save him as a child. And Mary lived a hard, sad life. This is all from the initial draft, the initial writing of, of the dream. Now, here's Mark Harris, whom you know from a previous episode. Remember? He became a Frank Capra expert while researching his book, Five Came Back, and the much-watched documentary series based on it that he helped make with Steven Spielberg. Is there an author of a film? It depends. I mean, some movies really do come from one sensibility, and many, many movies are collaborative in ways that nobody who doesn't understand how they were made will ever understand that's a tough one because it was grandpa's like i would say he's the author but he's not the only author you've met frank capra's granddaughter monica in a previous episode when she visited seneca falls i think it was his heart i think it was the story he wanted to tell he credits all those people too for what he created but he did always put his name first because he felt like he was the one who created his creation it was his creation with everybody else's help. It would be an insult to him if I didn't say he was the author, because <laughs> I, I do believe that that's what he thought. In another previous episode, I took you to Nutley, New Jersey, where writer Frances Goodrich grew up. While Wonderful Life was still being made, Frances and her co-writer husband, Albert, would raise this very issue of credit before a Screenwriters Guild arbitration. Frank Capra is given third position credit after Frances and Albert. And Frank's writer for the final shooting script, Joe Swirling, gets credit for additional scenes. Philip is credited for the short story. Clifford Odets, a playwright you will soon come to know who contributes much to the first act, isn't credited at all. I don't think that many actors could have made a story like that so believable. He was being shown what his life would be like if he hadn't been born. You know, it just didn't seem ridiculous. You also met Kelly previously, to be born five years after the release of Wonderful Life. She thinks only her father, Jimmy Stewart, could have brought to life so impactfully the driving force of the movie, George Bailey. And given how important George is to the film, that makes Jimmy a creator too. I mean, the film is, is cap or dad, really. Whoever deserves the greatest credit, with a little help from the angels, the right remarkable people came together at the right time to infuse each one's ethos into a time capsule of sorts, to be opened by each new generation that watches this movie. Uh, let's look closer at how that happened. What was each of these creators about? And what brought each into the picture that allowed them to add something of themselves to wonderful life? First, who was Philip Van Doren Stern? And what was going on with him as he woke from his dream on Lincoln's birthday? First he did the biography of Lincoln, and then he went to the drums of the morning, which was uh, another extremely deeply researched work in a novelistic form. It's a story about the abolitionists in the years leading to the Civil War. The New York Herald Tribune declares Philip's fiction book, The Drums of Morning, the long overdue answer to Gone with the Wind. 
the massively successful movie which has swept the nation three years earlier, bringing audiences inside the perspective of the pro-slavery South during the Civil War. New York Times, August 9th, 1942, The Abolitionists. Through the eyes of his hero, Jonathan Bradford, Mr. Stern gives readers a panoramic picture of America during the decade before the war. Shows one how the issue of slavery came to a head in both the North and the South and introduces one to famous abolitionists. More, he does not minimize the eternal dissensions and failings of the anti-slavery movement, nor fail to link it, as he should, with the larger struggle for human freedom. They didn't suffer fools lightly. That's Perrine now, uh, joining her sister Sarah as they discuss what their grandfather Philip is all about in the early 1940s. Corrine says he didn't, didn't suffer fools. Very true. He also didn't suffer people who didn't respect the dignity of human beings. Absolutely. Let, let me offer an, a, a speculation. He was very, very engrossed in the story of Lincoln and the story of the man who killed Lincoln when he had this dream. And if there's ever a man, right, for whom the world would have been different if he hadn't existed, I mean, I, I, it's Abraham Lincoln. I mean, I, 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 it's too simplistic. I don't really want to make much of it, which is that it's not about the story of the greatest gift. It's not about the story of remarkable people who live on a world stage. It's a story about every single one of us. He was born of a mixed marriage. His mother was, not, was, was Christian and his father was Jewish which was extremely unusual in the 1890s, 1900s. The Van Doren grandfather, he had been somehow involved in John Brown's uh, Harper Ferry raid. I know that his mother was definitively anti-slavery. He was sensitized to some extent about discrimination and, and isolation and whatever by being half Jewish and having definitely experienced anti-Semitic events in his life. And part of what he was doing in the library was avoiding the people who were who were being blatantly anti-Semitic and, and, and unpleasant to a, a kind of a bookish boy who was half Jewish. He was always very... Um, he, he tried a bunch of different things before he settled on writing. He didn't really know what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a chemist. He wanted to be an engineer. He tried out these things, but he didn't like it at all. He just, just missed being in World War I. He was supposed to report for Officers Training Corps two days after armistice was declared. And once armistice was declared, he decided he wasn't interested. You know, he didn't do it. Talk about a sliding doors moment. He keeps a very close eye on what's going on around the world, and he's terrified about the, the spread of fascism. Today I had lunch with someone. I told him about the Lincoln book, and I said I would rather write a different book at this moment. There's much I want to say that needs saying about the subject of democracy. And I think his idea that it was time to write about democracy was tied into his ideas about abolitionism, about anti-fascism, about respect for human beings. And I think, you know, I think that's what his story about George is about, frankly. Philip knows he has a wonderful idea after his dream in 1938. But he also believes he's not yet the fiction writer to bring it to life. Years pass. Those right-wing fascists do start another world war, and America is attacked and joins it. Philip goes to work running the office that provides books to soldiers overseas. In the spring of 1943, he decides it's time to write the final draft of his story, naming it The Greatest Gift. Good afternoon, folks. Uh, my name is Seth Kennedy. Uh, I'm part of the It's a Wonderful Life Festival. Storytelling is one of my favorite things to do. 
And so they've asked me again to read The Greatest Gift, which is the short story that It's a Wonderful Life is based on. But as, as some people know, uh, this story actually is uh, pretty near and dear to, to me and to my family. This was one of those uh, you would read it every year kind of stories with my family. So it would be part of our family traditions. The little town straggled up the hill and was bright with colored Christmas lights. But George Bailey did not see them. He was leaning over the railing of the Iron Bridge, steering down moodily into the black waters. The current eddied and swirled like liquid glass and occasionally a bit of ice detached from the shore, and it would go sliding downstream to be swallowed up in the shadows under the bridge. The water looked paralyzingly cold. George wondered how long a man could stay alive in it. The glassy blackness had a strange hypnotic effect. He leaned still further over the railing. Philip shops the story to magazines, but finds no one willing to publish. December arrives, 1943. By that time, I'd become fond of the story that nobody wanted. I revised it again and had 224-page pamphlets printed at my own expense. I sent these out as Christmas cards. One of the Christmas cards with the story finds its way to a Hollywood producer named David Hempstead, who takes it to his boss, Charles Kerner, the head of RKO Studios. Kerner sees the potential. He buys the story from Philip for $10,000, the equivalent of about $178,000 in today's money, to turn it into a movie. Clifford Odets, the successful playwright, is brought on by RKO to craft an early draft. This is Clifford's son, Walt Whitman Odets. He had actually no interest in money. <laughs> you know, his father, whom he couldn't stand, was interested in nothing but money. And uh, the kids, meaning my sister and I, Nora and I, uh, weren't permitted to see him. My father didn't want us exposed to someone like that. Mr. Potter, what makes you such a hard skull character? The guy who sat behind the desk kind of looked like my grandfather. He's got his tie on and his coat, and he's sitting behind the desk. He's got someone who sits right next to him, right on the left side there. My father wouldn't admire someone like that. He wouldn't admire someone who's... Uh, life was about collecting money. Clifford adds the story of George Bailey's youth in Bedford Falls. Oh. Don't do my story again! Oh, no, no, no. His childhood friends, Mary and Violet. George Bailey, I'll love you till the day I die. The school dance and George's nighttime stroll with Mary. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. 1945 arrives. Americans manage to win the war. And the man who had... Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Spent those war years working under the general in charge of the army at the Office of War Information in Washington, D.C., the man charged with defining for so many the meaning and reason behind their colossal sacrifices comes home a changed man. This is my first picture having been in uniform and out of the theatrical films for five years. I was scared to death. This is Frank Capra, the director. People are numb after the catastrophic events of the last 10 or 15 years. It is the individual that must be built up in his beliefs, his hopes, and his aspirations. And then as a matter of course, you will find the new world we all talk about developing in a larger way. Frank's granddaughter, Monica, again. His whole entire family came over and they didn't really leave anybody but one sister back in uh, Sicily. And they came and you know, got off the boat and went to L.A. and my uh, started a farm there. You know, he was treated differently as a kid. He, he couldn't go to the, the regular public school. He had to go to the manual arts school because he was Italian. That was all very impactful to him. You know, just like, I know I can get out of this. I know I can figure this out. He would tell about renting a limo and driving up and pretending he was a director. And that's how he got his first job and all that. Whatever it was, I think he must have taken those experiences and just basically like started making movies. And then he became this Academy Award winning director. Good night's rest will do you a lot of good. Besides, you got nothing to worry about. The walls of Jericho will protect you from the big bad wolf. 
who's afraid of the big bad wolf, the big bad wolf, the big bad wolf. She's afraid of the big bad wolf. Tra la 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 la. I guess this is just another lost cause, Mr. Payne. You killed the John Doe movement, all right. But you're going to see it born all over again. <laughs> oh, John, if it's worth dying for, it's worth living for. So he had kind of this O. Henry story, you know, pulled himself up, made himself what he was, and then left all of that Hollywood stuff that he had built up and went to D.C. and was the head of propaganda for the U.S. government, made all the Why We Fight films. What are these two worlds of which Mr. Wallace spoke? The free and the slave. Let's take the free world first, our world. How did it become free? Only through a long and unceasing struggle inspired by men of vision. He also watched all the newsreels. I mean, he had to watch all the footage and then they made the newsreels out of this. Frank got a visceral sense of the damage done to so many real people by the right-wing fascist philosophy about humanity taken to its conclusion. And I think seeing all that, he's like, what do we do now? Frank is back in Hollywood and asking himself what the so-called common man American needs and wants. We were at RKO and Charles Corner, the studio head, came in. I've got uh, just the story for you. You got to read it. Well, my goodness, this thing hit me like a ton of bricks. It was the story I had been looking for all my life. Wow, what an idea. The kind of idea that when I was gets old and sick and scared and ready to die, they'll say, he made it the greatest gift. Frank buys the rights to Philip's story from RKO to be his first movie for his new independent production company, the aptly named Liberty Films. Capra, after the war, really wanted to be a leader. I mean, a lot of directors came back from the war thinking, after what we've experienced, we're never going to put ourselves in a position of being enslaved by studios again. You're hearing Mark Harris again. Capra was really in the vanguard of that. He started this company, Liberty Pictures, with George Stevens and William Wyler, that was going to be essentially a kind of independent director-run mini-studio. He gambles his brand new company on this one film, and the gamble gets more and more out of control. The movie was supposed to cost $2 million to make. Frank hires Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett to craft Wonderful Life, their work especially defining its long middle and the George versus Potter battles. This is their nephew, David. It's often said that nice people don't win in show business, but Francis and Albert were unquestionably winners. And over and over, they were described as kind, warm, generous, gracious, wonderful as people of extraordinary goodness. The Hackett's friend told me, it's unusual for people today to be humanly and professionally successful for an incredibly long time without compromising their principles and without being untrue to themselves. And they did that. Self-taught as writers drawing on their acting experience, Francis and Albert pushed themselves. Reviewing three scripts commissioned by RKO before Frank Capra took the lead, Francis and Albert see elements of Clifford Odette's script they can use, but the ones by Dalton Trumbo and Mark Connolly go by the wayside entirely. 
Those were fine, fine writers who had worked on it before us, but they had gone off track. They had gone off into stories of politics and other things. But basically, it was a simple story. So we went back to the Christmas card. After the war, I, <clears throat> I got home and I, uh, my contract had run out at MGM. And I, so I was independent. And after four years, I said, well, maybe, can you forget how to act? I, I, uh, I, I didn't know. This is Jimmy Stewart. When Frank, Frank uh, Capra called me on the telephone, <clears throat> he said, Jim, I have, a, I have an idea for a story. I, I, uh, why don't you come down and I'll, I'll uh, tell you about it. Well, I, I, I ran. Down. <laughs> and and uh, he said, well, now, you're in a small town and you're uh, in savings and loan thing and you're having a tough time and things aren't going well. And so you decide to commit suicide and <clears throat> an angel named Clarence, he comes down, you're out in the bridge and he, he jumps into the water to save you and you saved him. And he said, I, I'm not telling this very well, am I? I, I, I said, Frank, if you want to, do a picture about an angel named Clarence who hasn't won his wing yet, and and I save him, and he uh, teaches me something. I'm your man. I knew that he had been a hero in the war because we had photographs up of him getting a medal. You know, I have a picture right here of him receiving the Quadigar, the Flying Cross. Kelly again. Dad didn't talk about the war at all. He just did not talk about it. Mom would say, your father used to uh, sometimes wake up in the night with a nightmare screaming as if he's in a plane and he's yelling, fighter down to the left. And that's as close as dad ever got to talking about the war. I think part of that was that he didn't want to glorify his war experience. And that's why he didn't make war movies when he got back. He did not want to conflate his military service with his acting career. Nothing was more important to dad in his life than his military service. And it was nothing to do with Hollywood, and it was nothing to do with fame and razzmatazz or any of that. By choosing dad to be George Bailey, Capra must have intended for that character to convey a certain type, to convey certain emotions that dad did very well. Over two months at the top of 1946, across four acres on the RKO Ranch in Encino, in Los Angeles' San Fernando Valley, a reconstruction of Bedford Falls is built. It's one of the most elaborate constructions in movies up to that point. They do a brilliant job. It's a spitting image of the place. Lionel Barrymore is cast as iconic villain Henry F. Potter and Donna Reed as George's partner Mary Hatch. April 8, 1946, the three and a half months of filming begins with a stellar crew and supporting cast. And I have to say, Jimmy Stewart looks and sounds just like the real George Bailey. Dear Father in Heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. When I, when I first read the first draft of the script, and that scene, the, the little prayer, affected me. 
And when I read it, mm. when I did it in the movie, it did. And it, it did the same to, to me right now. Mm. His favorite scene in mine is the scene in the bar. And I watched It's a Wonderful Life recently. I don't think I'd realized before what a fantastic film it was and what a fantastic performance it was because dad changes through the movie and he is such a happy innocent in the beginning and his he looks so young and fresh i wish i had a million dollars <laughs> and in a very short time he ages he really ages in the film with no makeup thank you can't think anymore, George. I can't think anymore. Where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? Do you realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. I mean, he just... His whole aspect changes, and that's the effect of hardship and despair and feeling like you're a failure. Only one way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you. Oh, you? no, no, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I keep forgetting that. Comes in pretty handy down here, Bob. And the transformation to, to something else, to the weight, to the weight of responsibility and, and the weight of problems was just, to me, remarkable. $2 million was quite expensive for a movie in 1946. And then the movie starts to go over budget. And so it ends up costing almost $3 million. $47 million today. And that is a huge investment. There was supposed to be enough money so that Capra and... William Wyler and George Stevens would each make three movies over the same period of time, for a total of nine. But Frank is optimistic. He and his editors spend the summer and fall cutting the movie. December 9th arrives. At the Ambassador Hotel in Hollywood, he hosts Wonderful Life's first-ever screening at a big private dinner for team members and friends. The stars came out for a hush-hush screening of hit film director Frank Capra's latest flick, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart and Lionel Barrymore at the Ambassador Hotel, December 9th. Lucille Ball in a short evening suit of silver and gold, brocaded in lame and trimmed with mink. There's Roz Russell with a sequin scarf over her head and a black dinner dress topped with stone martin coat. High-powered gossip queen, Virginia McPherson, dishes all about the secret screening in her Let's Gossip movie column. Usually it's the movie queens who round up a couple hundred guests and toss the glittery parties, but this time a studio gets a deep curtsy from this corner of the fanciest wingding in many a movie moon. Yes, Liberty Films. And they took over half the sprawling Ambassador Hotel to do it. Frank Capra was the official host said he wanted everyone to celebrate the completion of his film, It's a Wonderful Life, and every star in Hollywood showed up to help him. They drank toasts and champagne cocktails and packed away a scrumptious six-course dinner. 
After dinner, all 300 stars had a special showing of It's a Wonderful Life. And it really was, as far as that evening was concerned. I thought it was the greatest film I ever made. Better yet, I thought it was the greatest film anybody had ever made. I want to do something big and something important. Christmas Day, and Frank's greatest film opens in 50 theaters across... Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun, such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. What's the nation. The following January, 1947, it goes into wide release, but few go to see it. Over its first year in theaters, it's 27th among all movies. Liberty is unable to recoup their movie's high production cost, and Frank and his partners find themselves racing to find a studio to buy the film before the bank forecloses. And then Liberty, um, when it goes under... The, the contracts get uh, bought up by Paramount Pictures and Capra and Weiler and George Stevens, who had tried to save Liberty by increasing their commitment from three films each to five films each, are now under what amounted to very, very long-term contracts to Paramount, which is exactly the kind of situation that they were bent on avoiding when they came back from the war. For Capra, the failure of It's a Wonderful Life was really in many meaningful ways 
the end of his career. He made several more features, but none of them had anything like the cultural impact of the movies he made before the war. And he really was, for the 15 or so years after It's a Wonderful Life until he finally retired, he was kind of at sea professionally and creatively. I I think the failure of It's a Wonderful Life was so devastating for him that he kind of thought, well, I I played my best card and it it wasn't good enough. Less than a decade later, Paramount resells Wonderful Life and it soon ends up at National Telefilm Associates. The company you heard about in the first episode that will eventually make the whoops that sees it popularized with all of you. And RKO, the studio that backed the picture, is taken over by Howard Hughes, who kind of runs it into the ground. They sell the ranch where the Bedford Falls set stands in 1954, bulldozing it. The 89 acres are merged with adjoining land to cater to the needs of San Fernando Valley's growing communities. People live there now. RKO closes shop three years later. Jimmy Stewart goes on to make some of the best movies of his career for other directors through the 1970s before retiring. You said, uh, Jimmy, that that's a wonderful life. It's your favorite movie of all. Mm. Of all the movies you made, that's yeah. still remember. When you think of it, it's a wonderful life, sort of a serious thing and sort of the, the troubles right. of mine. Well, people have gone, th- gone through four years of war and right. everything. And I think that I think they sort of they wanted Red Skelton and they wanted Terry Lewis and right. they they uh, wanted wanted comedy when they when they go to the movies. I think I was a young teenager, and I thought I just thought it was so sad that George Bailey had not been allowed to go travel like he wanted to, and I just felt like it was a really sad movie. Jimmy's daughter Kelly again. Poor George Bailey stuck in this town. And that's what I got from the film at that time, which was very different than what I get from it now. He might not have had everything that he wanted, but what he wanted didn't really mean that much to him. What mattered more is being kind to people and and giving. You know, that that turns that turned out to be so much more rewarding and wonderful than what he wanted. The movie means different things at different times, like in these troubled times in this country. You know, those scenes where he's he's talking to Mr. Potter, evil Mr. Potter, you know, the speech he makes, it means so much more than it used to. Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett write a string of classics into the end of the 1950s, including The Diary of Anne Frank that wins the Pulitzer Prize for drama. I still believe, in spite of everything, that people are really good at heart. I want to see something now, not a thousand years from now. Someday, when we get outside again, I'm going to... Francis joins us up here first, leaving Albert alone for a little over a decade. He's never the same without his beloved partner. The reunion up here was really something. Their nephew, David, again. I never heard Francis or Albert use the word faith in connection with their life together. And despite having worked on It's a Wonderful Life, 
they surely did not believe in angels. But... Clifford Odets returns to Broadway for four more plays. Uh, one is shortlisted for the Pulitzer. He returns to Hollywood one more time with the movie classic Sweet Smell of Success. AJ, it's one thing to wear your dog collar. When it turns into a noose, I'd rather have my freedom. The man in jail is always for freedom. This is A.O. Scott, the movie critic, describing what he takes from Clifford's last major movie. There are people who lead modest, quiet, virtuous lives, and there are people who are obsessively devoted to the maintenance of their own prestige and influence. And then there's everybody else, drawn to power like bees to a blossom or moths to a flame. Clifford joins us up here soon after, in 1963. Not long before that, he gives some life advice to his son, Walt. He said, so what do you, what do you think you might want to do with your life when you get older? And I just kind of shrugged, you know, 14-year-old, he go, I don't know. And, uh, and he said, well, you'll think about it when you get older, but the only things worth doing are to be an artist or to do something that helps other people. And I remember that's exactly what he said to me. Philip Van Doren Stern mostly returns to nonfiction, writing often about the Civil War and also biographies of Americans he considers great. His beloved only child, Marguerite, goes on to make a big impact on the world, inspired in part by wonderful life, as we'll look at in the next episode. That house that he bought in Brooklyn Heights, using the proceeds of the sale of the movie rights, they lived in for almost uh, 20 years. In 63, they sell the house and they spend all that time traveling from many locations in Europe. So they were kind of um, a footloose for those couple of years. They loved, he loved that house. And he talks about how the house featured in his dreams for the rest of his life. Frank Capra never again makes another movie that critics consider important, retiring from his beloved profession in 1961. And Wonderful Life mostly languishes in an obscure company's vaults, unknown to the world. And then, well, you know all the rest. The powerful role the movie ended up playing in your world, and might still have to play in your future. In an earlier episode, I told you that despite George Bailey being born in another universe, his story made it to you thanks to this movie. How is that possible, you may have been asking yourself. Have you figured it out yet? Philip's dream in 1938? Frank being in the Seneca Falls area in 1945. Those specific writers, Clifford, Francis, and Albert, finding their way to the production. Rashida Jones' grandfather somehow letting the movie's copyright slip in 1974. A lot of happy coincidences, some might say. But, well... <laughs> You don't think we only interceded that one time to save George on that one Christmas Eve in his universe, do you? Let's let Frank again provide our concluding thought. Wonderful Life sums up my philosophy of filmmaking. First, to exalt the worth of the individual. Second, to champion man, plead his causes, protest any degradation of his dignity, spirit, or divinity. And third, to dramatize the viability of the individual. I wanted to reflect the compelling words of Fra Giviani of nearly five centuries ago. The gloom of the world is but a shadow. Behind it, yet within reach, is joy. 
There's a radiance and glory in the darkness. I beseech you to look. For myself, I can only say it was my kind of film for my kind of people. George Bailey was never born. Visit SaveGeorgeBailey.com to join the mission. There you'll find links to works by this episode's participants. Learn more about how to celebrate George Bailey Day on Saturday, December 9th, and annually the second Saturday of December hereafter, by hosting your own Wonderful Life viewing party. Tell your friends to listen to this show, subscribe, like, comment, and post about it on social media. Hashtag SaveGeorgeBailey. Subscribe to our Patreon to hear uncut interviews and bonus content. Podcasts also available on YouTube. iHeartMedia presents a double asterisk iHeartMedia co-production in association with True Stories. Created, written, and directed by Joseph, Kurt Angfer, and Rayno Vyshelsky. Kurt Angfer, producer and supervising editor. Rayno Vyshelsky, producer and journalist. Elizabeth Marcus, editor. Roy Sillings, narrator. George Bailey theme song by Carolyn Sills. By her albums. Soundtrack composed by Zachary Walter. By his albums and the original soundtrack to this podcast available wherever you get your music. Mallory Kinoy, co-producer, writer's assistant, archival producer, and fact checker. John Autry, sound engineer, additional editing, sound design, and mix. Executive producers, Dave Cassidy, Kurt Angfer, Lindsay Hoffman and Bethann Macaluso for iHeartMedia, John Duffy for Double Asterisk, Ruth Vaca for True Stories, Reyna Vyshelsky for Double Asterisk and True Stories, Elizabeth Honkuch, Associate Producer, Brandon Lavoie and Ryan Pennington, Consulting Producers, Keith Sklar, Contract Legal, Peter Yazzie, Copyright and Fair Use Legal, Maddie Akers, Archival Specialist, Ron Kaddish and Benji Michaels, Publicists, Kavya Santhanam and Marley Weaver, Marketing and Promotions, Art and Web Design by Aaron Kim. Interns were Kyra Gray, Emma Ramirez, Eva Stewart, and Taya Wilson. Podcast license for Philip Van Doren Stern's The Greatest Gift provided by The Greatest Gift Corporation. Their attorney is Kevin Koloff. Recorded at David Weber's Airtime Studios in Bloomington, Indiana. This episode featured in chronological order Sarah Robinson, Mark Harris, Monica Capra Hodges, Kelly Stewart Harcourt, Laura Robinson, Perrine Robinson Geller, Seth Kennedy, Walt Whitman Odets, and the cast of Wonderful Life, and the brief voices, music, and artistry of the movies of Frank Capra from various studios and writers, The Diary of Anne Frank, Sweet Smell of Success, and news media professionals, including A.O. Scott for The New York Times, and Jimmy Stewart heard speaking to Michael Parkinson for BBC and Johnny Carson for NBC via clips used under the still-existing legal doctrine of fair use. The Potters are working on that one, though. The voice of Philip Van Doren Stern was played by Rayno Vyshelsky with the blessing of his granddaughters, based on words he spoke or wrote. His talk of dreams and writing was pulled from his unpublished work on dreams, creativity, and the unconscious mind, provided by his granddaughters Laura, Perrine, and Sarah, and from his foreword to the short story collection he edited, The Moonlight Traveler, Great Tales of Fantasy and Imagination and his accounts related to his short story on which Wonderful Life was based come from Philip's words included by his daughter Marguerite Stern Robinson in her afterword to the edition she published of Philip's The Greatest Gift, the original story that inspired the Christmas classic It's a Wonderful Life. Philip's description of his subject of democracy meeting was paraphrased from his words as provided by his granddaughters. The voice of Edith H. Walton was played by Elizabeth Marcus, based on words Edith wrote in her Drums of Morning review for the New York Times. 
The voice of Frank Capra was played by Mark Granby, grandnephew of Joseph Granby, the man who narrated Wonderful Life. Based in part on Frank's words over the years stated publicly, to reporters and in his autobiography, The Name Above the Title, and he quotes words written by Fra Giovanni. Much of this collected by Janine Basinger during her incomparable work as longtime head of the Frank Capra Archive at Wesleyan University and her The It's a Wonderful Life book. The voice of David Goodrich, nephew of Francis Goodrich, was played by Danny Ramirez, based on words he wrote for his book The Real Nick and Nora, for which he did much original research, and the voice of Francis Goodrich, played by Tess Stalker, based on words she said as found by David for his book. The voice of the Hollywood News reporter was played by TBD, stating words from a 1946 news story about the Wonderful Life Ambassador Hotel Party, as collected by Janine Basinger. The voice of on-scene reporter for that party was played by Reyna Vyshelsky, stating words spoken by an unknown 1946 on-scene reporter, as collected by Janine. The voice of Virginia McPherson was played by Mallory Kenoy, from words Virginia wrote for her syndicated Let's Gossip column. Some original research provided by Mark Harris, who did it for his book and limited documentary series Five Came Back. Some original research provided by Philip Van Doren Stern's granddaughters Laura, Perrine, and Sarah and their Greatest Gift Corporation, based in part on original research done by their mother Marguerite, and thanks to their attorney Kevin Koloff. Check out Philip Van Doren Stern's books, especially The Drums of Mourning, An End to Valor, The Annotated Uncle Tom's Cabin, The Life and Writings of Abraham Lincoln, The Man Who Killed Lincoln, The Secret Missions of the Civil War, Communications in the Civil War, The Confederate, Prologue to Sumter, Robert E. Lee, The Man and the Soldier, Henry David Thoreau, Writer and Rebel, The Annotated Walden, Prehistoric Europe from the Stone Age to the Modern Greeks, and Philip's works of science fiction and fantasy. Go to doubleasteriskmedia.com to hear our other limited-run podcasts, Who is Rich Blee? After the Uprising, with a bold new season in St. Louis coming summer 2024, and Origins, Birth of a Pandemic. And subscribe to True Stories New Weekly, Everybody Has a Podcast, with Ruth and Ray. If you are feeling like you're on the bridge, please call the AFSP's Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988 into your phone, or contact the Crisis Text Line by texting 741-741. Consider donating to or volunteering with AFSP or your local Habitat for Humanity, and make George Bailey proud. We're not affiliated with them, though. Copyright 2023, double asterisk, Inc. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. 
What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 